Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today, I have a special guest, my friend, G.W. Williams. And G.W., um, thank you for joining me. We have gotten yeah. to know each other. Actually, you reached out to me initially because you were going to be moving to Washington State. So I thought we could just start back in the beginning of where you hailed from, where you were born and raised, and how you ended up in Washington State. Yes. So I was born on July 11th, 2000 at uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Um, it's specifically though in Chandler, Arizona. Uh, I know most of uh, most people who live in Spokane don't know where Chandler is. It's uh, right east of Phoenix in the uh, Phoenix area. Um, when I was born, um, I kind of showed early signs of autism, uh, early shades of it, um, but my parents didn't really understand it much. And hence, when it really came to fruition in kindergarten, that's when I uh, learned about my diagnosis. I was diagnosed officially um, in the winter of 2005 uh, when I was five years old with um, autism and uh, Asperger's syndrome. Okay. So here's my question is number one, do you have any siblings? I do. Um, they're all older than me. I have uh, four older siblings. Oh, okay. Because um, I hear this frequently where, you know, there might be some red flags, but parents, sometimes it's when you have an old, it's your oldest child. And so you don't really have much experience with, you know, raising children to know if there's anomalies. And so I know myself with Isaac was my oldest. And so when there were some red flags, I was a little bit in denial because it's like, my baby is perfect. My child is perfect. Like, how dare you tell me that there are concerns, but in my heart, like I, you know, you have that, that feeling like hmm, something's not right, but I didn't have anything really to measure it from. Cause he was my first child. So, um, you had, you have older siblings. And so here's my question because we've actually podcasted on this particular topic. And so, um, as a self-advocate, I'm curious, I have worked over the years with some families who are reluctant because they're afraid of labels negatively impacting their child mm-hmm. with autism and that they feel that if their child is labeled with autism or even any other diagnosis, whether it be ADHD, um, that it's somehow going to limit their potential or also change how other people look at their child. And so when you said you learned of your diagnosis, you were young. So your parents talked to you about autism and Asperger's. And so how, um, how do you feel about that topic? Because I've had parents go both directions where they've not, they've chosen to not share the diagnosis, even with their child, let alone with anybody else outside of the family. But how did you feel at a young age, knowing the word autism and how that, how that was related to you? Well, I'll start off by starter saying when I was four years old, that's when I got my memory. Um, that's the average age when uh, most children get their memory. And but even by then, um, up until about, you know, up until about the end of grade school, because the thing is, when you're that young, when you're five years old, you know, you learn something new. And clearly, I learned something new about autism. But when you're that age, you just kind of go with the flow. And you kind of don't even care what, what what you learn and what you don't learn. So 
in in a sense, I'm not not to say that I didn't care about being autistic. Um, it was new to me, but I was just like, okay, I'm autistic. Um, it's who I am. It's um, it's part of me. I'm not gonna just completely change myself. And again, I was five years old, and I you, you know you don't expect you know a five year old to say I'm gonna change myself. I'm gonna change my ways. Yeah. To answer your question, um, I kind of just kind of went with the flow when I was, cause when I was diagnosed too, um, I did, there were, there were some intervention programs there, not as much as now, but there were some intervention programs. So my parents were kind of, uh, helping me kind of, uh, picking me up when I was down. So I knew they'd be there for support, but it really wasn't until a couple of years later when I really started to, um, have some emotions and feelings about being autistic and that, and that's because, when grade school really took off second or third grade, I really wasn't making a lot of friends because my um, neurodiversity traits and characteristics were really starting to show. They were really starting to show and kids didn't really understand that. In simpler terms uh, to kind of uh, some su- summarize what I'm saying, when I was five years old, I didn't really, when I was diagnosed, I didn't really have much to say about it, but it really wasn't until a couple of years later when I started um, going to school a lot was when I had a huge say on what was going on with me. Gotcha. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I chose when we knew that Caleb had autism pretty early on because he was in occupational therapy is how he started his journey with therapy interventions. And I didn't feel, it wasn't that I was trying to hide it from him, but he was so little. I mean, he was just like four years old that I didn't, he might even be three years old at the time, three or four years old. When he started occupational therapy, I was like, there is no way that he's going to even understand autism and how it relates to him. So I just chose to not have that conversation with him. And I just decided that I was, would have the conversation with him when I felt like developmentally he would, he was asking questions or, you know, like give me, gave me some sort of hint that he was ready or at a place where he needed better understanding. And it did happen eventually because obviously, you know, I work for the Isaac foundation. And so he knew that part of my job was helping kids with autism, get therapy interventions. Okay. So help, you know, find therapy interventions. So one day when I was asking him, Caleb, can you get your shoes on? We have to go to therapy. He just had this epiphany moment in our living room where he wasn't looking for his shoes. I'm like, buddy, we got to go. And he said, wait, He says, at the Isaac Foundation, you help kids get therapy. And I said, yes. And then he says, well, I get therapy. And I said, yeah, you do. And he says, does that mean I have autism too? And I was like, this is the moment where I was, I was waiting for, because, um, you know, he was clearly at a developmental place where, you know, he was asking a question. And so, um, we were late to therapy that day because it was just an opportunity. He asked the question. And so we had, um, had that conversation. So now I'm curious because I, how I explained to him, cause he was, he was in second grade at this point when he finally asked me about it. And again, I completely agree with what you're saying for a very long time in school, he he was keeping up with his peers and there was very little difference between him and other kids in his class. Right. And it wasn't until about like third, fourth grade where we started seeing massive gains socially with his friends and he just wasn't able to keep up. And so that's where we had to start having more conversations. So what was the best way when you then when you have you recollect when you were young and your parents, you were having conversations about autism and how it, you know, like, you know, your compared to your peers, how, how did those conversations go with your parents? What questions did you have or how did you like process autism and, and your classmates? Does that make sense? 
So you're so you're asking me um how if my uh, if my peers had any questions, how I was able. Well, to how answer. did your parents like? Did you go to your parents and have questions about? Tell me more about autism, or did you have questions for teachers? Like, how did you get more information at that young age about how what autism was, and maybe why you weren't socially keeping up with your peers? Does that make sense? Right, right. No, no. I see what you're saying. Um, so. You know, the thing is, my I didn't really ask my parents. I hardly asked my parents any questions about autism. And the main reason why is because they were still learning about autism themselves. And you have to consider this was back in 2005. I mean, there was some education on autism, but it's nowhere near. It, it is 15. Oh, I 100 percent agree with you because yeah. we were probably with Isaac because, well, you're going to be 21 this year. Right. Well, Isaac would be 18. So I, I feel for your parents because when Isaac was first diagnosed, your parents and I were probably the same about point because there was just not as many services and resources out there to get understanding and also to gw i didn't know how to use the internet very well back in those days <laughs> so anyway hopefully your, your parents i'm sure are way more like um advanced than i am but so continue all right right so um but yeah when when my parents when my parents didn't have a lot of questions because they didn't know much about it, um, I will say that um, I kind of learned with them when they were searching autism uh, through uh, um, educational books, journals, articles, um, either um, a hard copy or through the internet. Um, I was reading them too. I was learning with them, and uh, it wasn't just researching on the internet. They kind of uh, formed they kind of formed their answers and questions towards me as they were just watching me because I'm the primary primary source. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like in the family, I'm the epicenter of autism, um, uh, in my family, in my family that is. So they were learning from me, not just from books. They, I mean, they were using books as a guy, but they were learning from me, but as far as me, my, but as far as me directly, I didn't really have any questions. I will say though, to add on, um, as a side note, I had questions for, um, some scientists and researchers and um, I will add that the questions I did have, they did give me answers that um, I've proven wrong today. For really? example, they've said I would I would receive little success in life. I would still be living with my parents at this time. But look at me now, 16 years later, I live on my own a thousand miles away from home and I'm doing very well. And you my parents are. are very proud of me. And I'm just talking about this because you are 100 <laughs> percent not that 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 data that's out there that's circulating that's really quite depressing so it, I yes. have so yes yes but um but you know it's 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 one of those things where if sometimes although it really wouldn't mean much now sometimes I want to go back to those researchers 16 years later and ask them like what do you think of autism now and uh, I don't know what they'll say um, because I don't know if they moved on to other researchers, but I do hope they do admit that they were wrong and they own up that, you know, autistic people are not incapable and they're not hopeless and, and they're not, um, they're not, they just can't do anything. They can't do anything right. They always need someone to put a leash on them like a dog. And yeah. I'm sure that's what researchers are saying 20 years ago, but that's not true. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, not to get off topic, but to answer well, that question. I actually think that's a really good segue because one of the things that I wanted to talk about in this particular podcast is that there is a very strong neurodiversity movement out there that is very resentful. And 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 correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of these um, individuals that are part of this neurodiversity movement, these are all individuals that are self-advocates. They, at some point in their life, had been diagnosed 
diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder. And so they would be your peer group because this is um, the age range. Because again, a lot of the information that was um, available to parents um, and out on the internet and in books definitely painted a very dismal um, outcome and future for our children and for you as self-advocates. And so there's a movement, um, the neurodiversity movement, some might um, click, uh, connect this with if they've heard red instead, and they are very angry um, at at researchers with some of this early information and uh, printed documentation out there about autism and prognosis for how successful you guys would be in your lifetime. And the answer to that is, is they were very wrong. Um, but some, if you go back and look at some of those researches, researchers, they have completely changed their perspective. Again, you know, I have to assume that, you know, they were operating at a time frame where there was little very little information and research that was being done on autism. And probably the case studies that they had were probably not, um, didn't have as much neurodiversity as what we see in our entire spectrum of individuals that are diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder. Would you agree? Um, I, I would agree. I, I would agree. And, um, you know, the thing is, um, and this is this is regarding autism speaks to they do they they're like the forefront the ep, they're the front runners they're the epicenter of um autism research there's no doubt about that not just in america but in the world world yeah. yeah um because you have to you can't forget that the first person diagnosed um donald triplett with autism was um was back in the 30s in um in us uh the, in the south in america so it was in the country um so they're not just here so autism speaks isn't just here but they're around the whole world they're internationally and yeah. they've gained that big following at first they they, although they still do research now, um, they use their research to fund their goal, which was their original mission, as you know, was to find a cure for autism. Yeah. And that's why I say, you know, there's no cure for autism. And although I do support autism speak still, I have been since day one, still still am, probably will be for the rest of my life. I didn't agree with that mission statement. And although they didn't know better, I still don't, it, you know, it's definitely unacceptable now. It's just like saying, hey, there's a cure for you, you know, there's a cure for me being black for the color of my skin. That would be offensive. Absolutely. And that's why, and that's why the neurodiversity movement, um, and that's why, or excuse me, let me reword that. That's why autism speaks and the lighted up blue movement have received a lot of backlash from self-advocates and the neurodiversity movement, specifically red instead, because of their, because of autism speaks mission to find a cure for autism. And that's why I'm really glad in response to that backlash, autism speaks change their perspective. They change their views and they say, you know, we're still going to do research, but we're going to, we're going to stay relevant to the trends in the, that are happening in the autism community today, which is the red instead movement, neurodiversity. And we're going to say our mission statement, our goal is to just um, uh, help, help and assist um, individuals with uh, autism and other special needs. Yeah. And although, and although um, it's not perfect, there's still a lot of work to be done there. To me, there have been improvements, but I say to everyone who's watching this, don't take my word for it. You know, do your research. Um, always, always um, research different different organizations, whether they support the Red Instead movement or the Lighted Up Blue movement. And like we talked about too, Holly, back in a back back when I came for World Autism Awareness Day um, on April second, they do make great points. Don't get me wrong. Although I don't agree with everything, um, they do make great points. Um, one example is the puzzle piece. Um, 
the neurodiversity movement believes that the puzzle piece um, is biased and offensive towards autistic individuals and stereotyping. That's what I'm looking for because they think, oh, because, you know, the, there's the puzzle piece for autism. Every, every autistic individual knows how to solve puzzles like a genius. And they're trying to say that's not true. Although I get what they're saying, I don't agree with that, but that's just my opinion. But but I do see what they're saying, and I do at least respect that uh, that opinion and belief. And um, I've heard, uh, GW, that part of, because um, when you go online and you research, you know, the debate on the puzzle piece, I've heard so many different stories as to why um, they believe that it's offensive. That is one of them. Another one that I have heard, and I'm curious if you have um, seen this is that it's because there is a reference that there's a missing piece, that there is something missing, and that's the missing piece to the puzzle. Um, have you heard that in conjunction to why there's heated debate as to why the puzzle piece isn't acceptable as a symbol? Uh, I don't think I have, no. Okay, I read it online that it was there was some missing pieces, like symbolism that had been out there early on. So I didn't know if you had seen that one. Yeah, well, I do know now, and it's a very important information too, just as important as, um, you know, where they think the puzzle piece stereotypes autistic people. Yeah. It's interesting because when I think of the puzzle piece, if when you see the puzzle piece, I always think of a puzzle piece in and of itself. They're all individual and unique because every single piece has a place. And so when I think of the puzzle piece, um, part of the reason why we like it and we use it in our logo is because there's no two puzzle pieces that are the same because they all have a unique place that they need to be. And also when you put it together and you put all the pieces in their place, it makes an absolutely beautiful picture. And if you have, you know what I mean? You need all of the pieces together in order to create that beauty and make the picture complete. And so I have always looked at the puzzle piece as, you know, it's, it's a culmination of a community where everybody is a piece and we're all linked together. Um, so I think it's interesting when, you know, you read some of these kinds contrary reasons why the puzzle piece is so offensive because I had never until I researched it, why there was so much heated debate. Cause obviously you, as you know, I get a lot of hate email about my logo. Um, and so I did some research to find out why it was so offensive. And so I just think it's interesting because, you know, until you start researching both sides of it, you, you don't see different perspectives, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, continue. So the puzzle piece is offensive. So what is the symbol that the neurodiversity movement prefers? Yes, yes. Um, so the neurodiversity movement prefers, and I'm sure you've seen it multiple times before, it's the ribbon. Um, it's the glowing ribbon. Um, and it's either red or green. Um, it kind of kind of takes, uh, if I can do it with my finger, kind of this shape. It's the infinity loop. Is it the infinity uh, ribbon? Yes, yes, that's that's it. The infinity. Now, I've also seen it in a rainbow. Is that just because it's trying to depict the translucent or the because um, I've seen it red and I've seen green and I've also seen rainbow infinity loop. Right. OK, well, it's trying to um, it's the, the main goal of the rainbow is to show that autism is more than just blue. And that's why it's the and that's why the red instead movement, again, is so powerful. The other thing um, that they that they do um, that they do make a good point with. And I agree with this is that. Um, and I don't know if you've heard about this, Holly, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But one autistic advocate who's um, and I follow her on TikTok, she states that we should stop using low functioning and high functioning autism. And here's the reason why she says that she says that because she thinks that we're stereotyping low functioning autistic people as they don't know how to function at all. Although I 
part, I, I mostly agree with that, partially disagree with it. Like 80% agree, 20% disagree. Because the, the part where I disagree with that is that I don't see autistic people as, as low functioning and high functioning all the time. There are some low functioning autistic individuals that know how to do so many, so many activities that not even a high functioning individual like myself can do. They're just different in their own unique way. But I mostly agree with that statement is because um, maybe, maybe with that said, with what I just said, we need to, um, we need to change the perspective. We need to use other terms besides low functioning and high functioning. I mean, I'm high functioning, but and I don't know what goes on in a low functioning uh, individual's brain, but I do know this as someone who is autistic um, and, you know, there's a lot of social and legislative change going on, especially in the autism community. Perhaps it's just that time to change the perspective, to change the viewpoint of everything. I think that that is a really good point. And I've actually had this debate in the past. And so um, because GW, you've had the benefit of meeting um, my son, Caleb, who's ASD level one. So he's considered high functioning like yourself. And you also met my husband's son, Cooper, who is ASD level three. So he is profoundly affected. And, you know, and you've met both the boys at World Autism Awareness Day when you came to that event. And so I really like I love the concept of being able to get away from having to have a qualifier when we're talking about autism. However, if I was to say, if I, so I, I love the concept of that, but I also don't think that it's fair. And I don't think that it's fair actually to my children at times. And here's the reason why, because if I was to say, Hey, you know, um, I have a child with autism that I'd like to bring to this event, you know, like can you, can you support the fact that I'm bringing my, my two children with autism? And they say, oh yeah, of course we can. Now, then I bring them and they're like, okay, we're gonna have two people with autism, but we're not giving them qualifiers so that they can truly be prepared to support my two different children so that they can both be successful in that environment. So I've, play, and I've even done a podcast on this too, because, you know, how do you tell people in advance that you're bringing your kids with autism so that they can be prepared and have, you know, the right staff there to be able to support them and, you know, like give everybody as much advanced notice so that they can create a sensory friendly environment for my kids. Or is it wrong of me to give that information? And because I just, you know, shouldn't every single day, you guys be prepared to be able to take either one of my children on either end of the spectrum and be able to support them in every way, shape and form, but we're not really there yet. So I feel like when I am not, if I just say, Hey, we're going to buy a ticket. I'm going to bring my um, child with autism. I feel like I do need for my boys to be successful. I owe it to them to give them more clarifying information so that they can be prepared and have their best people and give some time and thought into how to to create the best experience for our family as possible. And if I don't give a qualifier, then how, how supportive can they be? How preemptive can they be in terms of meeting the needs of my children? And so I've gone back and forth with this because I really feel like I want to live in a world where I don't have to give a qualifier. And no matter where we go, we live in an inclusive community that can support the needs of both of my children without me having to provide clarifying information. But mm -hmm. the reality of it is, is that my boys deserve for people to know that they are coming and that they need to be prepared. And um, as such, that means that if I'm bringing Cooper, there's a lot more preemptive things that they're going to need to do in order to support us so that we can have a great experience as much as we can. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, I struggle with that because, you know, it's great. And 
in theory, but you know, when you have a child that's significantly impacted like Cooper, I just don't know that it's fair to not give people enough information so that they can have extra supports in place to be able to make it successful everybody. Cause you, I don't think they want it to fall apart either and have it be a train wreck. They want to try and support us as much as possible. So I love the concept. So I'm like 80, 20, the opposite. You said 80, 20, because I just feel like I wish I, I 80% of me, I wish that we lived in that world, but I also live in a real world where, you know, we have to take both boys to places all the time and, you know, without qualifying information, I just don't feel like I'm being fair to the people. And I'm also not being fair to the boys and setting up a situation where they're going to have more success. Does that make sense? It really does, Holly. And um, I never thought of it that way. And I really thank you for bringing up that great point. And that's from uh, a mother's perspective who's yeah. um, who's uh, who's raised um, th- uh, three, three, ki- three kids with autism uh, so far. And um, it's just uh, and I never and the reason why I never thought of it from that perspective is when you said information. I think you're right when you say we need to use um we need to say high functioning and low functioning as information. Um, maybe the right instead movement is saying something like, maybe we need to say the information a different way. I don't I, know that. Maybe I'd have to ask. Um, I love what you're saying though. When you're saying low functioning, I hate the whole concept of low functioning. That's why I always say that he's profoundly or significantly impacted by autism because that right. indicates that autism affects him in a more significant way. When you say low functioning, you know, technically on paper, that's what his you know, paperwork says because he's not functionally verbal, but I absolutely think, you know, when I do training, I always say terms you're going to hear is low functioning, severely impacted, you know, those sorts of things. And I am with you. I think, you know, you know, heavily impacted would be a better descriptor versus low functioning. I just think I'm with you. I don't necessarily like that term. Um, So I feel like there would be better qualifiers, but I've seen some self-advocates do um, TikToks and, you know, posts online, you know, YouTube videos on that subject. And I love it, love it, love it, love it. And then like, they kind of lose me at the end because like, I kind of want to cry because I wish that the world could understand autism as a spectrum, Mm -hmm. but it is not there yet. So I just don't know that we're ready. I don't think we're ready yet to take away some of the qualifying language, but I think we could improve it. Right. Right. And that's where we have to meet the gap because that's where we have to bridge the gap because, you know, with the light up blue movement, they have their box. The red instead movement has their, has their box. They both like each other's boxes. Instead of fighting of which box is better, you combine the boxes to to make a box that satisfies the both that satisfies both sides. I call it the box theory. My dad taught me that 10 years ago. I think it is a great analogy and you're absolutely right. Here's one question that I have for you because you are such, you are so, I love every time we get together and we talk, I learn so much. Um, But one of the things that strikes me when I talk to you, GW is, is that you have such a great ability to be able to understand both sides evaluate it, you research it, you go online, you, you know, even you'll reach out to people and ask them for more information so that you can understand their perspective. And then you, you have your own opinions, but you're very respectful of both sides of it. And, and you always kind of are somewhere, not, you're never one way or the other, where you're 100% over here. This is the only way you have a, a wonderful ability 
to be able to see both perspectives and then you formulate your percentage. Like you said, I'm 80, 20. I really like this concept here, but you're 80, 20. And so my question is, is that, you know, do you feel like there's a lot of self-advocates that are like you where um, you can be, you're not in either one of the boxes, if you will, you're one of those rare self-advocates that you really are very, you're able to go to both groups and you, um, you bridge a gap so well because you can understand the perspectives and you have some feelings that are kind of more this direction and some more this direction. Um, or do you find that there's quite a few individuals like you that have? Okay. Okay. So <laughs> there are none. Okay, so, so sorry, I didn't to cut you off. I'm so sorry. Oh, but you're shaking your head. Cause I'm like, I'm like, please tell me there's more of you out there because <laughs> you're the only person I've met. That's a self-advocate that has this unique ability to see right. both sides of it. The thing is, I'm big on TikTok and Instagram. I use those platforms most frequently. I mean, I use Facebook and Twitter, but TikTok and Instagram are my two main platforms. And since I've gotten TikTok, because there are a lot of autistic individuals on TikTok, that's become a, the Red Instead move. the TikTok has become a huge um, platform for the Red Instead movement. I, and there are some lighted up blue followers on there too. I've seen no, um, I've seen no TikTok followers like on the Red Instead side that support, that will support both sides. And either on the lighted up blue, it's like they're always clashing and not to sound political, but it's like becoming the U.S. politics, but for for the autism community. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is we have to, we can't forget where we come from. We didn't, you know, autistic people, autistic individuals didn't defy researchers. They didn't defy the law of gravity 15 years ago, 20 years ago by clashing and fighting. They, they came together they, they work together and we, and that's why I don't take either side. I, I say this, I stand for the lighted up blue movement. I always have, I always will, but I also support the red instead movement because, and although I don't agree everything with what they do, um, I, I do think they make good points and I believe that we can work together in unity. Um, I, and, I feel like at some point, wouldn't it be fantastic if we could get to purple? Wouldn't purple be yeah. a good color? You know what I mean? Because it's the red and the blue, we could be purple. Um, right. But I just don't see that our colors are, there's no, you're purple. In my mind, I see you more as a wonderful shade of purple where you are, because you, but I don't see anyone else that really has that, that capability, but I don't know how we can make progress on that. Do you have any suggestions? Well, I would, this is my solution. And I learned this, um, I learned this uh, through research and from my parents, call out your own side. And what I mean by that is we stand for the lighted up blue movement. If we see something that's wrong with it, call them out. Yeah. And that will, and that will, um, that will get the other side's attention. But, um, but if you say, but if you stand by, um, if you're fix fixated on one side and you support them, no matter how many mistakes they make, that's still going to get the other side's attention, but in the wrong way, they're just going to say, you know what, we're just going to fight you more and we're not going to work with you. And then, you know, your unity just goes out the window. It's done. But when you call your own side out, um, you're, you're able to get the other side's attention in a good way. And they may say, Hmm, okay, maybe they're, when they're calling, when they're calling, they're calling their own side out, maybe this is a, this is a chance for us to step in and work with them a little bit. And, I don't think that's going to happen right away. Um, I'm just saying theoretically, when you do that, it takes baby steps. I mean, it takes years and years um, 
to get to get sides to work together. And especially you're, you're seeing that now because we live in a more opinionated um, society than ever. So um, the other thing, the other solution, I would say, is just to reach out to them. You know, um, I I will say this and I'll give a great example. This just happened um, uh, this past week. It was on Friday. I believe it was a huge milestone for the mission. I'm tr- the mission statement. I'm trying to resonate to the autism community. There's a, a, a lady. She's a, she actually, she actually, she's actually in Spokane. She goes to Gonzaga. Um, her name's Evelyn Jean and she's a TikTok and Instagram uh, autism advocate creator. And she's a self-advocate. She supports the Red Instead movement. And she's um, called out Autism Speaks and um, the Light It Up Blue movement a lot. And I thought instead of, you know, getting angry, I thought this was the perfect opportunity, the perfect one to reach out to her. So I reached out to her by Instagram. I sent like a really long message that was in the form of an email um, because I couldn't find her email, but I sent her a DM on Instagram and I just, and I won't get into everything I said, but I said, listen, um, I, I stand by the lighted up blue movement and autism speaks to organizations and movements that I know you do not support, but I'm not here to create enemies. I'm not here to create a partisan divide. I just want to talk with you because I really like the stuff you're posting. And I do believe you make some incredible points. And although we don't agree on everything, um, I believe that talking and uh, getting the conversation going will um, help in so many ways. Now I sent this message three weeks ago, but, and I thought since she didn't see it, I thought, cause you know, on Instagram, you can see whether they sent Sana a message or not. Yeah. I yeah. thought I saw that she didn't see it yet. So I thought, um, okay, I'm a little worried. Maybe she did see it, but maybe she's so mad. She doesn't want to talk to me. But three weeks later, she actually uh, reached out to me and she said, I didn't see your message. So I guess we can talk. And she said, listen, there's a lot of room to disagree. And I told her, and Hey, that's okay. That's, um, that's called, that's called a community. That's called different communities trying to resolve differences. Yeah. We're going to disagree and we're not going to agree on everything. And when we, and I won't get into detail what we talked about, but we had a very open and honest conversation. And I believe it was a huge milestone because, you know, I've, I haven't seen, I, although I don't look at the DMS of every autistic advocate, I have not seen anything like that. I've seen nothing and no. I took it's it even very further. And very ugly. It gets very ugly very fast when, right. I am, you know, um, I, I, and I have chosen when I'm attacked online for the Isaac Foundation, I just don't even um, respond because right. I've never had it end well where there's any ability to kind of meet in the middle and have mutual respect to just disagree. It usually just becomes very, you know, mean and hurtful. Um, right. So sounds really wonderful that there was just that agreement that, you know, we can have differences of opinion. Um, right. And so are you guys continuing the discussion or how did you guys leave that? Yeah, so we're possibly going to continue the discussion. Um, we're um, talking about um, possibly meeting up and uh, collaborating uh, in person because, you know, I live in Pullman. She's in Gazaga. We're not that far away. No. So I was thinking maybe we should meet up and just maybe have a lunch and just chat. And uh, she, she said, that'd be wonderful. Um, Of course, you know, we have some other things going on, but hopefully in a couple months, we're actually able to do that. And I think that'd just be, that'd just be groundbreaking. I mean, because again, I've with two sides just clashing with people being stuck in their ways, supporting each, supporting one side, no matter how many mistakes they make. 
um, you never see that unity and coming together. And that's why I wanted to take it one step uh, further. I don't know if you saw on my, I know you don't go on TikTok a lot, but I also post my TikToks on my Instagram story. Um, I post on my Instagram story, um, this uh, autistic self-advocacy network, Twitch live stream charity hosted by this Red Instead Autistic Advocate follower. Her name's Beck Spectrum. That's her uh, Instagram handle and TikTok handle. And um, I promote, I kind of uh, self-promoted um, the the uh, the charity because I was in full support of it. I was in full support. And I'll explain that a little later too about the charity. But I, feature, I um, said special guests include this person, that person. And guess what? All featured guests are all autistic advocates. Something that to me is unheard of and unprecedented. I've never seen anything like that. Never, never. And um, I tagged all those follow, all those um, uh, featured guests who were autistic advocates in my post. And most of them followed me back. Despite me standing with the Lighted Up Blue movement, they followed me back. And I don't know if they actually looked at the um, other parts of my post supporting Autism Speaks, mm-hmm. but I still believe that's just, that's just really amazing. I think and, that's progress. That You're right. That shows some progress perhaps. So Right. Okay. And um, it was kind of funny too, because when I first reached out to Evelyn Jeans and I saw her typing on Instagram in response to my message, I thought she was just going to go off on me and get really mad because I support the Lighted Up Blue movement, but she was actually very open and welcoming. And just for those just for those Instagram and TikTok uh, creators to follow me back is a is it's not it's not the end of the road. We're still not out of the woods, but it's a huge, it's a major step in the right direction. But then again, I didn't expect I didn't expect that much progress that quickly. I thought it would take a while. And listen, and listen, Ollie, there are always going to be those haters out there. There's always going to be those red instead supporters who um, won't be open and inclusive, no matter what, no matter how you try to, no matter how you try to um, offer yourself as open and inclusive, there are always going to be those red instead supporters that will just say no, no matter what. Yeah. But you have to, but you, that's when you move on to the next um, group of creators who are on the other side and hopefully you get a good response back, which I just did. Which yeah. I just- I completely agree. One thing I wanted to ask you, because we've talked about Autism Speaks has gotten a lot. They really are the the only organization that they're the Red Instead movement, the neurodiverse movement is really um, anti against. And my question is, uh, it's kind of a twofold thing. I th- I believe Autism Speaks has has made it public by changing their mission statement and changing some of their advocacy routes of what they're doing to support individuals with autism and other special needs. You know, they've made them this they've acknowledged the fact that you know, curing autism isn't what we're, we're about. Like this is, you know, you don't cure autism. We celebrate uniqueness. And I do believe that they have made some steps to, you know, change that early platform that they had about curing autism. And again, I do believe originally when they f- were founded, they were going off of information of bad science and research that had been done and was available. And they've learned so much through the years of funding uh, autism research projects. But with that being said, I I believe that they have backtracked and they have acknowledged the fact that they're changing their mission because this is not what we believe. We believe that, you know, here's we're supporting individuals with autism and other special needs. With that being said, when we talk about the Ark of America, okay, Mm -hmm. are you familiar with Ark of America? I am. They have all different types of organizations spread across. Correct. Do you know what the ARC, it was actually an acronym. Do you know what the ARC actually stood for? 
Um, I'm guessing the Autism Research Center. No, it was actually Association of Retarded Citizens. Oh. Okay. So at a certain point in their, you know, existence, they recognize this word retarded is a horrible word and we want to end the word retarded. So they changed it from being a capital A R C to a lowercase R C and they changed their whole mission. They've completely removed the word retarded from every aspect of their organization. And they will still remind organizations to please not refer to them in all caps. It's a lowercase rc because they recognized that they made a mistake. Their name itself was not appropriate for the people that they were serving, right? So they made a mistake and they changed it. And it's interesting to me that I don't see any groups of people going after the ARC because of the mistake that they made and even in naming themselves. Right. You see what I'm saying? And so I think it's really interesting where, you know, we can have grace in some aspects and acknowledge that, you know, in their, obviously at the ARC and their foundation in the beginning, this was, you know, how they founded themselves and how language that they use, but they quickly moved away from it because they recognized this is not appropriate. They fixed it. Mm-hmm. I feel like Autism Speaks has made steps to fix some of the early mistakes that they made. And yet it's really still being met with a lot of anger, resentment, and hatred. And and so I guess my second part of that is if Autism Speaks completely went away, let's just say they just absolved because Red Instead won. And so Autism Speaks shuts down and goes away. Would that be enough? Or would they then focus their efforts to go after other organizations that they feel have not supported neurodiversity? Does that 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 I, I believe that um, that wouldn't be enough and that would be completely catastrophic. The thing is, just like with life balance, there has to be there has to be balance in general. Yeah. Um, when you just you can't just completely eliminate an organization like that. The thing is, the lighted up blue movement to me needs the, the red instead movement needs the lighted up blue movement just as much. We all depend on the balance. Those are like the two, those are like the two parties. Those are like the two um, uh, organizations, the movements that are carrying the autism community. If you just abolish and eliminate one and they just go away, then the red instead movement would suffer in a huge way because you'd be, you'd be losing that balance. How would they be losing the balance? Well, because, you know, you'd, um, well, if you, completely abolish the autism speaks movement first of all which i know will never happen it will never happen you will cause more problems because because if you think about the problems you'd be causing would you be there would be some supporters who were from autism speaks you'd be angering them and they'd be coming at you yes and then, and then all of a sudden you know you'd have a huge autism community fight that's how you lose balance so the thing is you need to the red and stud movement they need to i believe they need to include uh the light up movement just a little bit more they don't have to agree with them but just like how i don't agree with the red and stud movement but i uh, with everything but i still support them they need to do the same thing because if you just because you can't the other thing is to uh you can't just have one side making all the decisions only being the advocates and passing all the social and legislative change in the autism community. You just can't have that happen. That's so true. And I'm glad that you acknowledge that because, you know, not every person with autism has a voice to be able to advocate for themselves. And do I wish 
I just, there's not a day that goes by that I wish that Cooper didn't have the ability to put words out there to be able to tell us what his needs, wants, and desires are, but he doesn't have that ability. So then how do we give an equal voice to those who cannot voice their own needs? So here's one of my next questions is, you know, one on the neurodiversity platform, you know, there's a lot of resentment for therapy interventions that would in any way change the neurodiversity of individuals on the autism spectrum. And that really there's a lot of anger. I have actually have providers that are being online attacked by former patients because their mom or dad, parent caregiver enrolled them in this type of therapy intervention. And it's like awful and ABA is horrible or any type of, of therapy intervention that somehow changes the neurodiversity of that individual is wrong and should be never forced on a child. And, and, you know, two things I've, I've, my heart hurts a little bit because as a parent, all I'm ever doing is trying to help my child, like be able to utilize their voice so that they can be a strong self-advocate like yourself, GW. If, if I really hope that you get to know my son, Caleb, because you being able to mentor him in being a strong self-advocate and being able to see different sides of, of an argument is really important for me that my child learn that so that he only doesn't try and use his lens to apply to every other person in the world because it won't work. It just won't work. But, you know, it breaks my heart because when I read some of the, the posts and the and some of the chatter out there in the Red Instead movement, it breaks my heart because they imply that I'm abusing my child or that I don't love and value who, who they are. But if we were to take all therapy interventions that are designed to help, you know, enhance the life of those that have autism and we just take them all away, are we really being fair to our autism spectrum individuals? Is that we're being, com- we're being completely unfair. You can't, and it's a, and it's a way, you know, when I talk about balance too, if the Red Instead movement were the only organization and Autism Speaks were to go away, you, you'd literally be forcing uh, uh, individuals that did support the Light Up Blue movement into the Red Instead movement. And what if they say no? You can't force them into a movement that they don't want to do. Um, and they'd probably say, the Red Instead movement would probably be like, well, be inclusive, be inclusive. But in that sense, they'd be kind of, that'd be kind of hypocritical of them because they'd be, because that autistic individual would be like, well, you weren't inclusive to the lighted up blue movement. You kicked them off, you kicked them to the curb. Well, that so. is so interesting that you say that because I feel that this is such a, di- a weird place for me to be because they really, for what they're demanding and what they want for the neurodiverse members of their community, everything, all the things that they're doing is like, it divides their community and it's not very inclusive at all. It's the, you know, like, so for on one hand, I totally understand and I can respect and wrap my head around some of the really good points that they make. But on the other hand too, the way they go about doing it seems hypocritical about how they're going about trying to execute their mission. It's very restrictive and it's only supporting those individuals that have the capacity to self-advocate for themselves. It's like leaving out all of like, you know, Coopers of the world that don't have a voice because if we take what you're wanting and we apply it to every person on the autism spectrum, you are hurting people in your own community. And I just don't understand how we can, how we rationalize where, you know what I mean? How, how does that, how do they take that in consideration in their red instead movement? And I've never been able to find information online, how they believe some of their beliefs are going to serve well 
the members of their community, like Cooper, who is um, not functionally verbal. He has vocalizations, but it's not functional language to communicate his needs and wants. So how do we, how does that rationalize in the movement? Well, the answer is simple. You know, it definitely sounds like a very complex and complicated question, but it's simple. Prevent it from happening. How do you prevent it from happening? Be inclusive. Like I said, call out your own side if they make a mistake. Um, support one to support a few parts of the other side that you think um, are not totally, totally agreeable, but partially agreeable that you can roll with. Yeah. And um, the, the thing is, my mission is to be a leader for all autistic individuals. Um, and to be a leader, you have to be fair and you have to be respectful. You have to be considerate. And most of all, um, you have to be you have to be smart and intelligent and you have to always you in a way you always have to be the smartest guy in the room while surrounding yourself with smart people as well. Smart, intelligent people. GW, I have to tell you, you just gave me goosebumps because you are exactly that. You are exactly what the autism community needs as a leader. So I just want you to know, I feel so privileged to know you. Like I'm getting choked up because everything that you just said makes so much sense. Um, You're the purple. You are the purple in this whole equation. And it's so wonderful. Can I just tell you, can I transition real quick? Because you have called out our own um, lighted up blue movement, right? And you and I I had a conversation about it. So I want to talk about this. you are not a big fan of autism awareness. The right, right. Awareness. So let's talk about that. You're calling that out in our own um, lighted up blue movement because instead you let you prefer other language. And I think when you, we talked about it, I'm like hundred percent. I think you, I, I can totally wrap my head around this. So let's talk about this because you're calling out your own. Movement. Right. Right. Um, well, I, I did more research on this and um, it's not so, not necessarily that I regret beforehand saying autism awareness because at the time I didn't know better and it wasn't the worst thing to say, but now that's starting to change. I wanted to use autism acceptance because the thing is um, when you're just saying awareness, you're just saying you're aware of someone with autism, but that doesn't mean you actually accept them as in that doesn't mean you actually, if they were to come up to you and they'd show their neurodi- neurodiverse um, traits and characteristics, um, you may not know how to respond to them. They'll just be like, okay, um, I'm aware of you, but I don't know if I know how to accept your neurodiverse traits and characteristics. If you use the word acceptance a lot more than awareness, then you're going then you're going to get more positive feedback and responses from the autism community and basically because you know the um parents will see from their autistic uh, autistic kids their autistic children that other individuals know how to accept them so autism acceptance just um it gets the word out even further don't get me wrong awareness gets the word out but acceptance gets the word out even further cuz then parents will ask why do you accept how do, how do you accept um, kids with autism? This is how you do it. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. Um, how can we get others in our community to accept people? This is how, this is how, this is how. And it, and it it's just like a, tr- like a family tree, a tree branch. It just goes on and on and on with those kind of, kind of answers and questions, but that, but that's all worth it because it helps basically um, uh, individuals with autism being accepted, like, like myself, like myself and, and, and Caleb and Isaac, for example. 
Yeah. And I also like the, because when we were having this conversation, I'm like, this is so true. I also like autism inclusion because you know what I mean? That's the thing is that we can, you know, be aware and we can accept, but what about inclusion as a community? We need to have an inclusive community where it doesn't matter. Then we don't need the qualifiers. Do we have high functioning autism? Are we significantly impacted by autism or profound autism or low functioning autism, which I agree. I don't love that terminology. Um, Um, But then all of a sudden with an inclusive autism inclusion, then we don't need as many qualifiers because we're just all, it's part of our culture and that it doesn't, it it all, we just meld together and it all works without having, you know, preemptive everything. So I think there's a lot of value to that too. Definitely. Well, I am getting um, tight on my time because as I told you, I have to go pick up my daughter here from school um, pretty soon. So I appreciate that you gave me an hour, but there is so much more that I want to talk to you about. So could we do another podcast in the future so that we can talk about, because I was making notes of other things that, see, that's my, that's my reminder that like, Holly, don't forget, because there are so many other things I want to talk to you about, because again, when we talk about autism, awareness, acceptance, inclusion, part of it is really important for me as a parent. I can, I'm only operating under how I can be an advocate for my children and Caleb's getting to the point where we're teaching them how to self-advocate, but um, I'm doing the best I can. So when us parents have the opportunity to interview and listen to interviews of self-advocates, and again, you're such a wonderful shade of purple because you're not hundred percent blue. You're not hundred percent red. You're in that middle range where I think you can give a really valuable perspective to families who are raising kiddos on the autism spectrum. There is so much more that we could podcast on. And I also want to make sure that we are giving time because you, you've mentioned this, but can you give a shout out, explain um, your, your website, because your website's how we can find you and also your handles for your social media. So I know that you're probably going to get a lot of people that want to follow you because so many things that you have said today really is going to resonate with a lot of people. So how can we find more of GW through autism chose me? Yes. Yes. So um, I, by the way, I just posted in the chat, um, some TikTok creators that I'd recommend you follow. Um, there, there are self-advocates and they support Red instead. But as far as me, um, you can contact me um, by uh, going to my Instagram and TikTok. I'm mainly on those. They're at Autism Chose Me, A-U-T-I-S-M Chose Me, Autism Chose Me. And uh, I'm on Twitter at Autism underscore Chose underscore Me and Facebook at Autism Chose Me. If you want even more information, you can uh, get my email. It's info at autismchoseme.com, info at autismchoseme.com. And of course, as you said, Holly, my website, uh, www.autismchoseme.com. I post frequent, uh, frequently weekly blogs blogs about um, common misconceptions about autism, this and that, um, more facts about autism and neurodiversity. Um, that's increasing more and more, getting more views. So I definitely recommend that as well. And so, and you do YouTube chat, you do YouTube videos that are also embedded in your website. Is that right? Or do you, can you only find them on, if you go to the YouTube channel? So I posted an anchor link on my website that has a videos link. If you click that, it'll take you to my YouTube Perfect. Because you and I have actually done a YouTube video in the past, like a, right. because you have your autism chose me. So I was one of your guests yeah. and I appreciate that so much. So we're going to put all of this information in the show notes, and then you are going to allow me to reach out to you again so we can schedule another podcast, right? Absolutely.
Awesome. I will. And that's the thing too, is again, all of us parents are wanting, and this is where you could really be a wonderful source is also, you're such a good spokesperson for self-advocates, but you could also really teach us parents how to teach our children to be strong self-advocates and what we could be doing to support them. Because you're absolutely right. We need more self-advocates out there advocating for our community. And, you know, parents are doing a lot of advocacy because some of our kids don't have the ability to do that. But with your help, I think we could get more self-advocates that are comfortable with it. And you're also helping parents to understand how they can raise strong self-advocates where they can see and look at different perspectives and may not agree, but we can um, mutually disagree respectfully. So Right. So I think you have a lot of to value a lot of things that you can do to support your community. And I, like I said, I just feel privileged to know you. So, of so course. came up to, privileged to know you too. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to wrap this episode of Isaac's autism wild podcast. Be sure to check the show notes so that we can get, you can get access to all these other links that we've been um, talking about through the podcast today. And I promise we will bring DW back so that we talk about more about autism chose me. Thanks for joining. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.